3: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: As we welcome you on to the programme, let us start with a murder investigation has now been launched. This is following confirmation that the remains that were found dumped in a roadside uh, ditch that were found on Monday in East Cork are those of Kieran Quilligan, who was last seen alive in Cork City in uh, September. The Southern correspondent with the Irish Independent Ralph Regal once again joins us on... On this story. Uh, good morning to you, Ralph.
5: Good morning, Patricia. And,
4: you, and you're welcome. I suppose, to start by taking us back to why the Gardaí decided to search this particular area of East Cork and why they believe that Kieran's remains may be there.
5: Yeah, I think within 24 hours of Kieran Quilligan uh, disappearing uh, last September, Gardaí had major concerns for his safety and his welfare. Uh, now, they've been very much investigating the circumstances in which he disappeared. And various pieces of intelligence have come to light now it was information that they received that underpinned a major search in the little island area last year and now that didn't yield anything um, in terms of major significance to the investigation but further intelligence was obtained and a targeted search was launched of an area near rostellen so essentially just off the middleton to white gate road there is quite a sweeping bend at one portion of the road And to the right-hand side, there's an an area of scrubland, gorse, kind of scrub trees and whatever. Uh, Now, Gardaí were searching that area. They were assisted with a cadaver dog. And within quite a short time of the search commencing, the cadaver dog gave one of the indications that it had detected remains. So about 60 metres off the roadway in a shallow trench, um, human remains were found. Now, they were they were fully clothed and they were contained within a heavy-duty bag or sack um, the type of, of sack that would be used for say moving gravel or building materials or whatever it wasn't like your normal black plastic bag uh, those remains were examined in situ they were then transferred to cork university hospital where a full post-mortem examination was conducted by the assistant state pathologist dr margaret bolster now as well as that a dental records dna and past medical histories of um, Mr. Quilligan were used to verify the identification, which came through last night. And my, my sources had said from the very beginning that if this was confirmed to have been Kieran Quilligan, there would be a murder investigation launched immediately. Now, for operational reasons, Gardaí have not commented on the findings of the post-mortem examination. But again, my sources are saying that it indicated that Mr Quilligan was the victim of quite a
4: savage assault. Wow, wow. And and have the guidee indicated any possible motive?
5: Uh, publicly, they haven't. But again, what we're led to believe from various contacts and sources is that uh, Mr Quilligan, unfortunately may have run afoul of a drugs gang in Cork City. Now, Mr. Quilligan himself had been battling um, a heroin addiction for, for some time, and the fear is that he may have run afoul of the of a heroin distribution gang in the city centre and that they have may have had a grudge or may have been targeting him over a debt or something like that. Certainly, all the indications are that Mr. Quilligan was lured to a property where he was abducted and then was taken from that property to a location in East Cork where he was then assaulted and where he died. Now, I think it's also worth pointing out that Gardaí do not believe that the fatal assault occurred at Rostellen. All the indications are that Mr Quilligan was killed somewhere else and that his body was then brought to um this area of scrubland where it was placed in a shallow trench, I should also say the the body wasn't buried, but there were attempts made to conceal it with, with scrub and branches and pieces of brush
4: okay and and the, he was cited, he was last sighted in I think it was the uh, f- uh, the first of September last year. I'm assuming that there's good CCTV footage of his last known movements in the city.
5: There is, Patricia, and those movements effectively track his journey from Anderson's Quay through the city centre over towards Proby's Quay, and I think it's St. Finbar's Place, which is where he was last seen on CCTV footage going into a property. Now, he was never caught on CCTV footage exiting that property, which is one of the things that made Gardy very suspicious from the beginning, and it's believed that somehow he was taken from that property, possibly out the rear of the property put in a vehicle and then transferred to another location. Um, now, another point worth making is that during his journey from Anderson's Key over towards Proby's Quay, um, Mr Quilligan is seen with an individual. Now, that individual has spoken to Gardaí, um about where he last saw Mr Quilligan, um, but we're expecting significant developments in the investigation over the next couple of days.
4: OK, but it's, a mer- it's now a murder investigation.
5: Correct. Um, when when the it was confirmed yesterday evening, you know, it had been speculated for some time that these were the remains of Mr. Quilligan, but for obvious reasons, Gardy were being very careful. So they used dental records, they used DNA analysis, and they used they cross referenced um, some of the markings and things like that on Mr. Quilligan's remains with previous medical treatments and stuff like that over the years to confirm that this absolutely was him. And once the positive identification came in. Gardaí confirmed that it was now being treated as a murder. There was a major murder investigation underway. Um, but I should also point out that the resources comparable to a murder investigation had already been allocated to this case for some time.
4: OK, and obviously his family have been, I'm assuming there's a liaison officer, is it from the Gardaí for the family?
5: Correct, yes, yeah. I mean, it, it's an awful time for the family. Um, they had visited, last year they had visited the site in Little Island that was being searched by the Gardaí and they visited the site in um, outside Rostellen on Monday evening. They went to the site again on Tuesday and laid flowers. Aww. And the guardy had been liaising with them because it's obviously, you know, they've been hoping and praying for four months that they would locate Mr. Quilligan safe and well. Unfortunately, this is not this is not the ending that anyone would have hoped for for them. But at least they have some form of closure because it must have been terrible for yeah. them and for the they, last
4: four months not knowing. And they can give them a, a decent burial. And just before I let you go, um, Ralph, I, I saw you were also writing in the paper about the death of uh, Lisa Murphy. That came as a real shock, didn't it?
5: It did. Now, I, I was actually at an event about five years ago and I had met a friend of Lisa's and I hadn't realised that she was unwell but chatting to to her friend about four or five years ago, I realised that that she was actually very seriously ill. Now, again, we were always hoping, hopeful that the treatments would work or whatever. I didn't realise that she was as gravely ill as she was over the last um, couple of weeks. But unfortunately, she passed away yesterday. She was just 51 years old, which is really
4: you know, so, it, young, it is des- so young and so such, young, such a glamorous uh, woman and so always so full of life.
5: Very much so. And again, what probably doesn't come across, people will probably know her from the photographs in the paper and from her TV appearances and from her modelling appearances. But just on a personal level, from someone who very briefly got to know her, she was the most incredibly kind and polite and generous person. She really, really was a lovely, lovely lady. And uh, I think it's quite moving when she was engaged to Michael Flatley for a period back in the early uh, 2000s and I think it, it it was lovely to see that he went to visit her in St. Vincent's Hospital when he realised how sick she was and that there was a good rapport with her family that it was actually her father Des had personally contacted Mr. Flatley yesterday uh, to basically say that she had passed away.
4: Well, yeah, this is Really really sad. Uh, may she rest in peace. Okay listen Ralph, thank you for that and enjoy your bank holiday weekend and thanks, thanks for it. joining Same us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Ralph Regal from the Irish uh, Independent I can just see a couple of uh, texts coming in from uh, listeners who are not that happy. That's the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnelogue, was in Castletown Bear yesterday. Now, the reason that he was in Castletown Bear yesterday was the Castletown Bear Fishery Harbour Centre is one of six state-funded fishery harbour centres and it was officially opened yesterday by the Minister for Agriculture. It's the Danish Wave. Uh, wharf Wharf Expansion the 48 million project was funded through the Department of um, Agriculture uh, and obviously the minister was in town for the official launching and opening of it and there was an unveiling of a sort of a big stone sculpture uh, which is everything um, on it about the day etc and in the photograph that I'm looking at it's all of the various local representatives that would always turn up for something like that were in the photograph and not everyone Everyone's happy about those photographs. Someone said "What well, a sad sight in Castletown Bear when you see all the elected representatives being photographed with the minister, Charlie McConnell, be- who has betrayed farmers, according to this listener, and fishermen. A minister that ruined small farmer payments and stood over delayed acres payments to the very areas that these representatives say they represent. Shame on uh, all of them. They're speaking out of both sides of their mouths. Somebody not uh, happy. And someone else says the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnell, should have stayed out of the Area Peninsula rather than standing in for photographs. West Cork has been decimated by delayed farm payments and an acres scheme now two years late. Any TD that supports that minister shouldn't be voted for or any rep of any government. Sad day for rural Ireland and that's for my West Cork listeners so not everyone happy with that particular photograph and that event that happened yesterday in Castletown Bear. A group running under the banner Taxis for Ireland Coalition which involves the Restaurant Association, the various Vintners Federation and a a taxi app Bolt has said urgent action is needed to address the country's crisis in taxi supply. Now joining me to discuss the issue further is Ashleen Dunn and is head of policy for the taxi app Bolt Ireland. And in just a moment, I'll also be speaking with West Cork uh, Senator Tim Lombard. But Ashleen uh, joins us first. Good morning to Ashleen. Thanks
6: for having
4: me. Uh, you're very welcome. Now, you've conducted a survey uh, that I think many people won't be surprised by the result. And this is the number of people who can't get a taxi at peak times. <laughs>
7: An okay, so we're, we're fast, having a problem
4: there with your phone line. Can, can you, you hear me now? It's very muffled.
7: Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, um, now it's
4: it's clearer now. It's clearer now. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um,
7: my apologies. So as I was saying, we uh, undertook economic research uh, to look at the lack of availability in cities across Ireland, predominantly Dublin and Cork. And we found that the situation was particularly acute in Cork during peak times. So the peak times are from midday on a Friday to a Sunday morning. And we found that fifty six percent of requested trips during those hours were going unfulfilled. So that was over half of the times that people were trying to order um a, a taxi through the app they were finding that they weren't able to do so. Now, obviously, some of those journeys can be filled by going out in the street and hailing them or going to a taxi rank. But I suppose the problem with that is it interferes with the door-to-door service, which is what most people want and expect when they're getting a taxi. So what we're really looking at is how we can improve the supply of taxis in our cities and in our towns all across Ireland so that people can have that door-to-door service.
4: And and I was surprised to see the situation in the problem in Cork is even worse than Dublin. I would have thought Dublin would have come out with a higher population base, but it's worse here in Cork.
7: It's worse in Cork. Yeah, we're seeing even more unmet demand. So even more people trying and failing to get those journeys in Cork than in Dublin. And, and, you know, this report looks at also the economic impact that this uh, shortfall has. And it's found that, you know, over the long term, there is about 8 million to 15 million that is being lost to the local economy by not having sufficient supply of taxis. So that's an impact on shops, restaurants, pubs, uh, the you know, a vibrant nighttime economy in our city and town. And so that's really worrying for local businesses and for people who enjoy being able to, you know, socialize at the weekend and want there to be choices. Uh, and, and a vibrant nighttime economy.
4: Our, our population has uh, increased, uh, Ashleen, but have taxi numbers kept up with that increase?
7: No, absolutely. That's that's one of the things we're seeing. So in 2013, there was 21,900 um, FPSV taxi-licensed drivers in Ireland. That number is down to 19,700 today. So there's been a, a reduction in over 2,000 drivers. In contrast, in the UK, during that same period of time, it's gone from 230,000 drivers up to nearly 290, so a 60,000 increase. So um, what we're seeing in a lot of cities, across Europe, is that people are looking at the range of public transport options, so buses, trains, darts, and um, and public transport, including taxis, uh, shared bikes, all of the above, to make them be able to let go of, you know, maybe one private car in the family or or both private cars. But where you don't have that full range of services, people aren't making that shift. So we really think that having a sufficient supply of taxis and taxi drivers is important for helping people have that full range of options. That's happening in other countries and it's not happening here.
4: What do you believe are the main barriers for people taking up a job as a taxi driver?
7: Well, I think the taxi drivers that we have working are doing a great job. But because there aren't enough of them, they're probably predominantly working during the week, Monday to Friday, well serviced. Uh, you know, kind of daytime hours. Um, So I think we need more of them. And we need people who are willing to work weekends and night times. So perhaps we need, you know, part-time drivers in a way that we don't really have here, The reason for that is I suppose it's quite expensive to become a driver. At the moment, any new entrance to the market must have a wheelchair-accessible vehicle. So if you're a long-time taxi driver, you don't have to have a wheelchair-accessible vehicle. But if you're coming into the market, into the industry, you need to. That's quite a big barrier. Um, There are grants available, but they're very oversubscribed. So the NTA released a grant scheme this year on the 2nd of January it was fully subscribed and had to be withdrawn by the 3rd of January, and there was a cancellation list. So if you're a driver wanting to to start work, needing to have a wheelchair accessible vehicle, and you missed that window, to you know, you didn't make it onto the list to get a grant, you're now waiting another 12 months to do that. And that's a big barrier. We need the government to either fund more grants so that anyone who wants to become a driver and get the WAV vehicle can do so, Uh, or or look at other ways around it. Um, There's also still a local area knowledge test, which I suppose harkens back to uh, a day before we had sat-navs and before drivers were able to rely on up-to-date information coming in through their phone, yeah, So we think that that could be looked at and perhaps reviewed because that's a big barrier to entry as well.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you've brought up the local area knowledge test. We spoke with somebody, it was uh, well before Christmas, uh, who has a taxi business and he's trying to get his son into the business and the son is willing to come in and, you know, work part-time, work the hours mm. that the dad won't be working. Seems like a great plan because the son will be available to work exactly the hours you're talking about on the weekends and and, and maybe do... Uh, late at night. This young man, who is a very capable driver, five times has failed the local area knowledge test. He's down in West Cork and he's been asked about parts of North and East Cork that he could tap it into his sat-nav and he would have no problem finding where they're asking him to find. But because he's failed the test, he's just getting so disillusioned.
7: Absolutely. So the, the test has only a 34% pass rate uh, for first-time applicants, which is outrageously low. Uh, it's a sign that the test is, you know, overly burdensome, especially when you think about how times have changed from when that test was first designed. So most other cities are either removing local area knowledge tests um, or modifying them to show, you know, can you work that properly? Can you, you know, understand what it's telling you and how to, you know, change your service. Far,
4: far better. Far better tests.
7: Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And unfortunately, that hasn't happened in Ireland. And that's something we really think the NTA has to look at. I know it's important that drivers are professionals and they are experienced. All of that we agree with. But just in terms of creating barriers for those types of drivers like the one you described who could come in, do part-time in addition to their studies or other work or care needs. And that is really what we need. Uh, so, we need to look at how to remove those barriers,
4: yeah, and I think most of us have been in a taxi either in this country or indeed overseas, and when you give the name of where you want to go to you 'll see them tap it into the sat nav or into Google Maps on their phone, and nobody is an issue with that, so a- it's just a- it's crazy but but is it actually in a case that there will never be enough drivers for peak times uh, I
7: mean You know, we'd all like the, I think it was that Carlsberg ad where you walk out of a a pub or a restaurant and there are just taxis lined up straight in front. I, I don't think that's realistic or that's what's going to happen. But with technology and the ability to either go out if you're on a main street or to open up an app and book a taxi to come to the door of where you are, wait a few minutes, that should be feasible. That is feasible in so many other cities across Europe. There is the technology there for it. There are, you know, regulations that are appropriate for the era we're in. And we're just not seeing that same movement in Ireland. Um, We think there is the capacity to have that here. uh, And we just really want the government to engage with us on on how to deliver it.
4: Okay, stay there because I want to bring in uh, West Cork, uh, Senator Tim Lombert, who, in fairness, I've spoke with on this uh, issue in the past. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Tim, are you continuing to hear from people in the hospitality sector who can directly point and say their business is affected because of lack of taxis in their area?
8: Absolutely. It's a huge issue. Um, like, it's not just a lap, There's no taxis in some areas. And I think that's the big issue. Literally, towns like Bantry, Arton and O'Clock, they don't exist. Uh, is under pressure, Band Clon. I spoke to Larson at and uh, Clon yesterday. She told me she to goes out in Clon. She books the taxi three weeks ago. Oh, God's like, That's sake. not reality. That's not how you live life. So it, it's having a major impact on the commerce of how we actually can be sustainable in West Cork and until we actually change the system to something different, we're going to have a huge issue. And by changing the system we need to start encouraging taxi drivers to come into the system itself. They need to be probably working three times over the weekend and for that to happen there needs to be a huge change in how the
7: regulations are put in
4: place. Well, and that, yeah, uh, And that's what ashley has been outlining, even if we were to get part-time drivers who would be willing to work the shifts that maybe the regular taxi driver who's working Monday to Friday doesn't want to do.
8: Yeah, and I think that's where we need to go. And there's young people out there, old people out there who want the opportunity to, you know, be a part of the community, earn a few pounds, you know, work through whatever they they can do. And I think we need to give people that opportunity. And that's where we need to go with the system itself. Like, there's a few things here. Obviously, um, we're not going to change the standards. The standards for the actual taxi drivers have to be the same like I'm involved in my local J club, I'm Garda vetted, my wife's the a playgroup, she's guard vetted. we need to have the same standards, and we're all very much agreed in that. What we need to do is start talking about the actual testing of how you become a, um, a taxi driver. So in Cork, you have to know and have a knowledge of the roads and streets in Cork, Cork County, from hour to y'all. That's an impossible task. And that's why yeah, really we've just
4: discussed that with Ashley about, about the about the uh, sat nav. Um, Ashley and, and I'll and I'll come back to Tim on this because I, I kind of know his views already. Ashley, what are your views on Uber and introducing Uber as a nationwide app? Yeah, so
7: you know, Uber is another member of our coalition, and uh, they provide ride-hailing services in other European cities, and then in Ireland they provide the traditional taxi services they're a dispatch operator for them Uh, in both we're the exact same so we have taxi services in ireland and across europe we have a mix of taxi and also that kind of ride hailing model where you might have more part-time drivers and so so we you know we're in favor of anything that can get more drivers onto the platform uh, and working in the industry and providing that service getting people from a to b so there are differences in regulations in Nearly every European country has slight differences in how they govern it. The most important thing that we would say is that it's a safe service. So, um, you know, obviously background checks for drivers, Uh, There's a lot of safety features that the app, like Bolt and Uber, have that mean that you can share your journey. A driver can share their journey by the click of one button if they have some concerns about their passengers. You know, so there's a lot of additional safety features that booking through an app give you as opposed to just getting into a taxi on the street. And so our view is we need to engage on what the regulatory regime should be here to improve supply. And there are a few different ways to do it.
4: Uh, and we just want to work together to, to, okay. to find okay. that okay. And, and Tim, I know you're you're a strong advocate for rolling out Uber nationwide.
8: Yeah, look, I think these, there's there's the opportunity in so many ways to provide a service that's not there. I think we're not saying we're taking away the service. The service isn't there in the majority of towns. So it just gives people the opportunity to actually have a safe way of getting home. And look, I've been on the, uh, listening to your programme previously and you spoke with the black taxi trade and, like, that's a huge issue that of the black market coming into the actual taxi trade itself. That could be unregulated, uninsured, and unguarded vetted. Mm-hmm. And because of the actual lack of where we are with the service, the lack of having these platforms there, the lack of the, the regulation that's over-regulating the industry, we do have a the service at the moment that potentially has non-vetted gap, um People involved in the industry, and that's a huge issue. And we just need to find a solution that involves everyone. Okay, and, okay. and just work.
4: just very finally, the, the local Hackney pilot um, scheme are the NTA finally saying that that didn't work?
8: Not yet, but like they have one application, they have one taxi service running in Ireland, um, it just didn't work. On the ground, it's been a joke, it just hasn't delivered what we're talking about being delivered and because of that they need to go back and relook at the entire system.
9: Okay.
4: Okay. All right. We'll leave it there. Um, Ashleen and uh, Tim, thank you both for joining us this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Ashley Dunn, Head of Policy for Bolt Ireland. That's a taxi app and West Cork Senator Tim Lumberd on that. Uh, Somebody trying to get a taxi driver's licence and this local area knowledge test that seems to be catching so many people. Hi Trish, my son also did that taxi driving test four times he had to do it because of the questions were being asked outside of the area uh, where he lives. To me, I think it's all a money racket. Yet a foreigner... Somebody from outside Ireland who came to this country, applied for the test, was only in the country three months and they passed. Can anybody explain that? The latest data from Census Night 2022 was published yesterday with the release of the information about volunteering. And to give us a snapshot of what people had to say, I'm joined by Sheila Bonham, who is a statistician in the Census Division of the Central Statistics Office. Good morning to you, Sheila. Good morning. You're very welcome uh, to the programme. Can you firstly just solve an argument that we had in the office yesterday? Did you ask about volunteering in a previous census?
10: We we did, but it was in the previous census. It was two thousand and six, so it was quite a while Ah. ago. We do have a small, we do have comparisons and it shows that it's increased between two thousand and six and twenty twenty two. But that's you know two thousand and six, as in you know we're we're so used to hearing census twenty twenty two compared to census sixteen, but it's actually back in two um. In, in 2006. In
4: 2006. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. And so the
10: question was slightly different, you know. So, okay. Yeah. So talk
4: but, us through how many people are volunteering in Ireland? Um, at the,
10: uh, from census 2022, over 711,000 people are volunteering in Ireland. That's 14% of the population, which is like really, you know, it's a, it is an increase since the last time we counted it. But, um, and of those, the most popular type of volunteering is sport. So 40% of our volunteering. Uh, people that volunteer in Ireland and volunteer in sport and activities. So we're not really surprised to see that. But also um, the other categories that are collected of volunteering in, of, in, include volunteering in your community and social and charity. And they're both well up there as well, quite high proportions of people volunteering in those groups. And we also collect information on people that were volunteering in religious groups and in political organisations as well. And we look at it, you know, at national level, obviously, and across towns and county level as well.
4: Now I know it was uh, lovely Leitrim that came out as the highest rate no, no. of uh, volunteering. Well done, Leitrim. How do we do here in Cork? Asher oh, sure. Corks is,
10: is is doing very well as well. At, at a national level, it's fourteen percent. So the same, the same as the uh, overall is the same as the rest of the country. But what's interesting when you look at Cork, if you if, um, which is maybe not surprising to the to the people of Cork that when we look at the volunteering um, just for Cork on its own, overall it's um, yeah uh, you know in sport it, what i was like looking at um, when i was uh, having a look over some of the data um, in sport the the people of cork are a little bit higher than the national rate so 43% of the volunteers in cork volunteer in a sporting organisation so that's that's a, you know
4: that's we love our sport
10: yeah so so we love our sport and we love and
4: and we love our gaa and i know we've got you know great soccer clubs and rugby clubs yeah. and tennis clubs etc but but i i'm assuming at the bulk when they say sporting it's it's parents helping out with the local GAA yeah. club is it, that's what we're talking about in in we the. We can May. see that
10: quite strongly, all right. We can definitely see that quite strongly, and you can see like across at a national level, and that's kind of the same across the different countries as well. Like more, you know, at least twice as many married people volunteer compared to like to single people, and the married people are very much involved in the sports. Now, so are the single people, but it's a little bit more, you know, distributed among other types of volunteers. But within the families, it can be really interesting to look at like there's 1.3 million families in the country in 2022 and if we look at our families in Cork we can see that um for the um of all the families in Cork 23% of uh, the families have at least one so nearly one in four of all of our families in Cork have a one person volunteering in one in at least one, activity. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And it's a and little it sh- higher than yeah. the, other country, the other countries, the other as well. And it just and it just
4: shows that that great community spirit when when people get out there and and give yeah. something. I and mean, because like we would have very strong tidy towns groups um, across uh, Cork uh, the, yeah. uh, as well, um, and and people volunteering at their local church, at the local church as well. Yeah,
10: you know, overall religion is um, like eighteen percent val- of the of the of. You know, is, uh, our volunteers are in a religious group as well, and Cork very much on a par with the national rates there as well. The same as that. It's really interesting you mentioned uh, the small towns there as well, because Crosshaven, um, of is because we look at volunteering, break it down, and then the publication on cso.ie. We look at you know lots of different variables, as, as I'm sure you know. But small towns is one of our breakdowns as well, larger and small towns. But Crosshaven is up there at the top of all the towns yeah. with 19%. So, your own Crosshaven and very uh has the highest proportion of volunteers. Per people in the town, I am um, in the country. So um, well sorry, done, Nineteen percent. Well done, and also Passage West. Um, yeah. And Skibbereen. They both have high, high, above the national levels of sixteen percent. So higher than the national level so so people
4: can towns. go can go online and find out their individual areas Absolutely. yeah yeah oh yeah
10: yeah yeah there's tables there and uh, you know and they're quite they're really good interactive and maps and so we have maps down by the towns and the counties and um uh, so you can look at your own individual town you know if you're you know want to see how people are doing it. Across the border in mean, Kerry as well, you know, you can look out at all those. Dingle are doing pretty well there as well, just behind Crosshaven at 18%. So um, it's, it's great. It's and, and you can break it down by what, what, what about well because the age groups and all, you know. We're going uh, to
4: be coming in, or we are in in an election uh, year and, and a referendum coming up uh, as well. Are, uh, political parties, is, is, is that's deemed volunteering, isn't it, when people go out and work for their... Yeah, yeah.
10: volunteering in a political um, organisation is one of the groups that we we catch with. It does have the lowest number of volunteers nationally and, you know, across a lot of the counties. And Cork is pretty much in the same proportion as the national levels there. So 2% of the volunteers in the country, which is 17,000 in total, volunteer in um, a political organisation. And for Cork, let's say that's on a par as well, um, with around 2,000 people in uh, all of Cork volunteering in a political organisation. And then age groups. Well, what's interesting about the political organisation yeah. is um, the uh, uh, even though there's a the smallest group, they're actually got the highest, because obviously you can volunteer in more than one yeah. um, volunteering activity. And in the, the political volunteers, more, uh, half of them also volunteer in another uh, um, ac- volunteering activity, whereas the people that volunteer in sport, you know, only about 20%, or only about one in five volunteer in another um, volunteering activities because it so, takes, so, takes so up. Even, even though they're you're... the smallest <laughs> numbers they've <laughs> got the highest number of people
4: that do <laughs> more of it it probably takes board, too much their time when they're involved in the sporting, the sporting one. And one what about age? <laughs> what Did you look at age groups when it comes to voluntary activities?
10: Yeah, yeah. What we can see is that participation in voluntary work increases with age and at a national level over a third of the volunteers are aged between 45 and 64 and another 29% are aged between 25 and 44. So quite a lot. Two thirds there in, in the age groups, 25 to, to 64. And Cork is very much which, you know pretty similar there to for the whole of the cork county uh, you know in those sort of proportions as well and the average age of people volunteering is higher than the average age of the entire population so the average age of people volunteering is 47 compared that 39 for the average age of the entire population. So, the, so they're older and mu- the older, when you look at it by the type of volunteering, uh, it tends to be older people. The average age of people vo- volunteering in religion is 53 years, whereas the average age of people volunteering in sports are younger at 43 years.
4: Mm. Where would we so be? All, you know, it's Where would we be yeah. without, the, without our volunteers? Uh, uh, by without the way, and, and, and I don't know if you, if you know the, the answer to this or not, you, you know that wonderful part that you put on the census at the back page, the, the time machine yeah. piece? Yeah, yeah. Did many people fill that in? Uh, yeah,
10: yeah, 20% of the forms were filled in. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, we got good, you know, so of course there, we don't know what's in them yet. We have to yeah. wait 100 years for that. <laughs> but yeah, there was a good uptake of that. Yeah, yeah, really good uptake um, for that. And we you know, it could yeah, hopefully be something that we'd, we could, you know, keep on for future census. Oh, I, so I thought it was great. I thought yeah. it was a great idea. Yeah. Okay, people listen, really love ploughing
4: through the information from the uh, census. Sheila, thank you for that. And Jet. Yeah, thanks for joining us on the programme.
10: You're very welcome. Good morning you. to you. you. Bye-bye. Uh, bye
4: bye. Sheila Bonham there who is a statistician in the census division of the CSO. Anthony says, I volunteer every Saturday morning from nine to ten. I wake up people by playing music and bringing joy. Uh, this is uh, involved with community uh, radio. I give so much, I like to give so much joy back. I'm doing it five years. I wouldn't change a bit of it. You never know who's listening and you can bring joy to others, even one person and that is all that matters and actually I saw a volunteer at Ireland their uh, CSO was you know just commenting about the high levels of uh, volunteering but particularly amongst new arrivals that come to uh, Ireland and uh, they say like through volunteering people can become uh, active members in a new community they're making friends Uh, people come from other countries end up learning quicker way to learn English and building up their own local network and they volunteer in Ireland saying it's important to remember that people making Ireland their homes make a huge contribution to our uh, communities and I'm always saying that to somebody when they move to a new area and you're trying to find your feet one of the best things you can do is to volunteer and get involved in a local community group. So good to see uh, so many of our new arrivals are getting involved with volunteering. There was three young lives lost on the road this week. One of the lead investigators described the crash as horrific and really really traumatic. Now they believe that the single vehicle crash It was on the uh, N80 near the Fighting Cox pub and restaurant. It was about half past 11 on Wednesday night and it happened after the car lost control on what is a dangerous stretch of road and then it crashed into a tree before the car went on fire. The friends who were killed in the accident have now all been named uh, locally as uh, Daryl Culpert. He was 21. Uh, Katie Graham was 19 and Michael Kelly was uh, 25. Now there was a fourth passenger, a young man. He's managed to survive the crash. Uh, he was a passenger in the car and he's been treated for what's been described as very serious injuries in a Dublin hospital uh, last uh, night. And you know, a crash on uh, of that scale, it's just so tough, also on the emergency services. And I was listening to the local superintendent from the Carlo. Guard the station, a guy by the name of um, Anthony Farrell and he said it was one of the most severe cases he's ever attended in his 25 years on the force and of course it was the local guardie uh, to make that awful sad journey of knocking on, on people's doors to tell them the really, really sad news Now at this stage, uh, no indication yet as to what caused uh, the accident. They do know that the vehicle was a red Lexus but seemingly the actual car was difficult to Identify. They were they. They found it hard to identify the model because the damage to the car was uh, so severe. And one of the local councillors in the area, he was talking about that stretch of road, and he said at the moment there are plans in progress for the realignment of the road. They want to widen it and they want to take out some of these very bad uh, bends. Uh, But one local councillor says, you know, as with everything, it takes time for those plans to come to fruition. But unfortunately, the road has been on Carlow County Council's radar for some time due to the large number of cr- crashes in the past and now three young lives can be added to that list. So we think of the families who are absolutely uh, devastated and also the other young man whose life has been changed completely because of his horrific injuries and of course we're heading into a bank holiday weekend and typically on bank holiday weekends for whatever reason I whether it's to do with the volume of extra traffic on the road, you know, people getting out and about and going places for the weekend. There's always, there always seems to be an increase in road fatalities on bank holiday weekends. And I know I've already heard the RSA, the Road Safety Authority, saying, wouldn't it be great to be able to end this bank holiday weekend by saying nobody was killed on our roads? So it would be just wonderful if next Tuesday morning, when I start the programme after the bank holiday weekend, to announce that as a really, really good news story. And the Road Safety Authority, are asking everyone this weekend to please, please slow down. But they're putting a lot of emphasis also on passengers in a car. If you're, you know, in the passenger seat or you're in the back seat and whoever is driving the car, if you think they are just driving too fast for the road conditions or the particular stretch they're on, or for some reason they're not concentrating, the you know, the, the, the fatal thing that so many people unfortunately have done in the past picking up the phone while they're actually driving at the same time I think it's up to all of us as passengers and the Road Safety Authority backing this up for all of us to don't just think about it don't just sit there thinking God he's really driving too fast actually call it out and you know you're calling it out for your own safety but for the safety of everybody else is in the car and the message from the Road Safety Authority is when it comes to road safety we can all do with a little reminder every now and then so don't just think about it say it, call it out, and particularly this weekend. And let's keep our fingers crossed and hope we do have a weekend where there will be no fatalities. 0818 103 103. Yesterday on the programme, we had a message in from a listener in the McCroom area who was talking about a low-flying plane that had been hovering over the Macroom area in recent days. and they described it as being quite noisy, as if there was something wrong with the exhaust of the plane. And it was the small uh, plane. And could we find out what was going on? And both myself and John Paul, when we were discussing it after the programme, saying, I wonder is that the TELUS uh, survey? And it is the TELUS uh, survey. They're actually in the area at the moment they're across County Kerry and Northwest cork they 'll also be dipping into neighboring parts of uh, Limerick and the survey it 's a national program it gathers geochemical and geophysical data across Ireland and it 's to examine the chemical and physical properties of the soil the rocks and the water and as part of the survey to collect the data, the aircraft has to flow has to fly at a very low level uh, across your uh, area and no- Normally, it's low enough that you can actually see it's a small white twin propeller plane. And the fact it's twin propeller, that's why it's making so much noise. But it's quite clearly identifiable in that it has a red tail and a black stripe going across the plane. And clearly written in very bold letters is the word survey. So if people spot it, uh, that's what it's uh, doing. They say the sound of the plane is similar to a passing lorry and that it might actually startle livestock such as horses. So they always try to put out a warning in advance to say, you know, where they're going to be. So at the moment, they are in northwest uh, Cork, but but they're they're also going into County Kerry and in parts of uh, Lim and the survey is underway. Um, now they say from late spring until uh, autumn. They're well. They're already well up, according to, according to our listener yesterday. Uh, yesterday really is the first official day of spring, and they were there. They. Across, I think it was right across this week. They were there nearly every day, but that's there's nothing sinister in it at all. It's just they are gathering geochemical and geophysical data. That's the TELUS uh, survey. And then I've had a letter in from Noel in Cove uh, to say, dear C103, I'm I'm Noel. I'm 78 years of age, and I'm writing a note to you because I cannot text, I cannot email, and I cannot go online. And I think SuperValue are wrong to be supporting the Cork County GAA Board and. I'll tell you why. I think the GAA board are a non age friendly outfit. The reason I say this is match tickets are now all online. Because of that, and this is the sad part of the letter, I haven't been to a match for the past three years. Yours in sport, uh, Noel. Isn't that really sad? I'm, I'm, I'm saddened to hear that you haven't been to a match in the last uh, three years. But just to tell you, Noel, I know the GAA, and it isn't just here in Cork, it's a, it's a nationwide thing. They're pushing everything on a line. But there was a huge outpouring of rage amongst people who, like your good sales, don't deal online, you know, don't email, don't text. And we're not able to buy tickets. And I know a lot of like groups like Age Action, a lot of the groups that advocate on behalf of older people came out very strongly about this when the government made the decision, when the GAA, blaming the government, when the GAA made the t- decision to put everything online. So the GAA are pains to point out that while all of the tickets for their matches must be purchased in advance, You don't just have to get them online. You, For example, you can get them at many of the participating centres and super value outlets. And also, if you make contact with any of your GAA club or county officials, they will also be able to, to help you out because I know a lot of the officials locally here in Cork have been absolutely great at helping out some members of the older community who don't deal online and haven't been able to access tickets. So please, Noel, because you sound like somebody who loved and enjoyed going to all the matches please go back out because there's going to be wonderful, wonderful matches on uh, in the coming weeks and months and I'd love you to go along and enjoy them. 0818 103 103. and then very quickly an email into Cork today at c103.ie from Eileen saying Hi Patricia. I am entitled to job seekers benefit as as I am reaching the age of over six, over the, over the age of 65. Uh, that's going to happen shortly and I'll be getting €232 euro a week. I wonder could you find out, can I continue to work for 12 hours a week? I'm currently working 16 but we'll be happy to knock it back to 12 hours a week. I will find the €232 euro a week hard to live on. OK, there's two things you do when you reach the age of 65 because of course we know the official state pension doesn't kick in until 66, and a lot of companies ask people to leave at 65. It's absolutely nuts. And a lot of other people want to leave work at 65, so I do accept that. So, what currently happens at the moment is you apply for something called a benefit payment, which is for people aged over 65 and up to the age of 66. So, it's that year in between your state pension uh, kicking in. Now, in order to get the benefit payment, For over sixty fives, you must have fully ceased employment or self employment. If a person is still in employment or wants to continue on part time, then you're advised to apply for the job seekers' benefit, which is what you are saying you are applying for. Now, I did read online before I came on that there is something called, if I can find, I'd never seen the word before. There is something called subsidiary employment, um, but I think that's for people who do. A job outside of the normal job they were doing. So I don't know if that is what Eileen is talking about. But what I suggest you do, Eileen, is to make contact with your local citizens information. Now because you've emailed I don't know what part of the city or county you are from. I know we regularly on a monthly basis we talk with the great people of the citizens information in North and West Cork and they are a mine of information. You can give them a call or if you have a local citizens information office in in a town or a town close to you, you can call in because they're open now uh, to seeing people for a while there during COVID, everything was done over the phone but the easiest way is probably to give them a call for example if you are in West Cork, you can call the Bantry office 0818 07 or if you're in the North Cork area, I'd point you in the direction of the Mallow office, there are 0818 07 uh, 8000 but get on to citizen information because they will be able to tell you exactly what you can and can't uh, do uh, with a benefit like that. 0818 103 103 lines are open. C103 Jobs Healthcare Assistant with QQI, our tech level five in older persons care is wanted for Nazareth House in Mallow now experience in older persons palliative and dementia care would all be an advantage. CV's please to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com Meals on Wheels are looking for a cook to work two to three day, days per week. That's Meals on Wheels in Mallow. If you can help out can you call Eleanor 087 rota industries in north cork are looking for a service engineer now this is a full-time position cvs to julie at rota.ie and industrial electricians are wanted this is for work in the ring of skiddy area cvs to tim at HamiltonFrench.com. you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103.
11: Cork today on C103
3: with McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.
4: Now, yesterday, the first day of February, St. Bridget's Day, and all of that, it saw our new deposit and return scheme go live with a 15 cent deposit on smaller containers and a 25 cent deposit for containers over a half a litre and up to Three litres. To talk us through the process, I'm joined by Neve Kelly, and Neve is head of marketing and communications with Return, which is the not for profit company which is set up to run this initiative. Good morning, Geneve.
12: Hi, Patricia. And Thanks for having me on.
4: Well, you're, you're welcome. And just when I was thinking there about that yesterday was Saint Bridget's Day. i mentioned yesterday the fact that it was Saint Bridget's Day and that she was a big advocate for protecting nature and protecting the environment. So it was a great. I don't know whether you deliberately launched to coincide with Saint Bridget's Day or not, but I think it's, it was a good day. It was a good day to launch it. So I suppose if you can start by just reminding us why we need to introduce this scheme, because you, you'll, you'll have people say, "Oh, we, we've got curbside recycling collection." Sure, I'm always. Mm -hmm. recycling my bottles and my cans.
12: Yeah, and that's a very valid observation. And I mean, for the people who do recycle as it is, that's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. But I suppose we all know that within the kind of recycling bin, there are different kind of types of recycling. But this separate collection ensures that the highest quality of recycled is collected, but that there's also no cross-contamination. And that does tend to be an issue with the cross-contamination. But it's also really important to note, Patricia, that we get around 60% of recycling. So that means well over 30% is either been thrown on the ground in the streets, you know, we've all seen it down by the beach or, you know, on the river, or it goes to landfill. And what we've seen abroad is there's 15 other schemes abroad in the EU, there's 40 worldwide, but they've been really, really successful at encouraging people to recycle more and achieving much higher recycling
4: rates. Yeah, you talk to anyone who will be out litter picking tomorrow for the Tidy Towns groups, particularly on the road verges coming into all of our our towns and and villages and they're they're always picking up bottles and uh, cans. Talk a little bit about the reverse vending machines and how people will get their deposit back, back
12: yeah and definitely there's two there's two or three options here for both the uh, consumers and for retailers and i suppose patricia when you reference there the reverse vending machines or the rvms they're probably the most visual and what everybody is seeing all over the country which is fantastic but when a consumer goes into a shop they will either see the reverse vending machine or the um, a manual over-the-counter option for people to bring back their drinks containers when they're finished. So the reverse vending machine, you pop in your container. You could have multiple containers. You'll be issued with a little voucher, and that voucher, you bring it up to the till, and you could use it against store purchase, or you can get your money back. When you go to the manual, you give, give in your um, <clears throat> return logo container, And, uh, again, you can get your money back or, again, store purchase. But I think it is important to say in the transition period, which is four months, and it's going on between now and the end of May, there's obviously a lot of stock that producers and retailers want to sell through. So what we have is we have some stock that's older stock and it doesn't have the logo. There's stock that has the return logo. And then there's a small amount of stock that is in the scheme when it's scanned, it does incur a deposit. But I would like to say to everybody, if you are charged a deposit, you will be entitled to get your deposit back. And once you pop it, pop it in to the reverse vending machine, you will get that voucher. Even, so, if and the, if any, even
4: if the R sign isn't on it? Even if
12: the return logo sign isn't on it, because there are a small number of containers that don't have that logo during this short period of time of the transition period. But if you are charged the deposit by the retailer, you will get that refund through the reverse vending machine. And I would like to say this, if you don't, and if there's any problem whatsoever, please contact us here in return, because we have the list of those that don't have a logo on them for that short period of time, and we know exactly which ones they are. But it is programmed in the reverse vending machine that you should get your voucher So
4: it gets picked up, obviously, from the barcode rather than the return sign?
12: Absolutely, Patricia, that's exactly it. And you see, once we get to the 1st of June, everybody will have a return logo on anything that's included in the return scheme. But for the moment, there is that little bit where we're trying to prevent wastage, ensure that all the producers are able to sell on, their stock and that retailers can sell it off the shelves as well.
4: And I've certainly spotted a lot of the uh, re- reverse uh, vending uh, machines. H- have many been installed nationwide? And are you happy with the take-up of the number of machines that have been installed? If you're looking for plump lips that
11: last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
4: Because I know there was some criticism from smaller stores whose A didn't have the room or B thought they were too expensive for them to install.
12: Look, we're delighted with the number of them. There's roughly around 1,800 reverse vending machines nationwide. Um, I mean, anyone's would be delighted if they went onto our deposit return point map on the website return.ie, and they can see dotted all over the country every return point. What I would say is that the retailers, and uh, rightly so, this is an investment, um, the smaller machines, we do have financial supports there, but we also offer then the take-back exemption, which means that a smaller retailer, if they're under 250 square metres, doesn't have to take back those plastic cans and bottles, or the retailer can provide an over-the-counter service. So there are a few options there. I do appreciate it's an investment. We do provide the financial supports there as well, if the smaller retailer decides to go down that route. But yeah, they're all over the country and look, this is the start of this scheme. We're already seeing more people coming online and fully registering and deciding whether they'll go for a reverse vending machine. Or go with manual take back for the moment,
4: yeah, and as as you said um, earlier, you're not reinventing the wheel here. this works very successfully in so many other countries. We actually had a feature, and it was last week or the week before uh, on people from other countries talking about I think in Germany it's been going for twenty one years uh, that you know people don't even understand why we are questioning, not doing it, and if anything, some of the Europeans were questioning why we haven't had it in sooner
12: yeah and i think you know that's again a very valid point what i would say is we've done research here recently MORIC research and there's huge support of it support for introducing the deposit return scheme here and as you said patricia the amount of people that have either been abroad and see it seen it in action or have heard about it is fantastic it is proven to be successful it is very practical and again what i would say is i know it is an extra effort for people to separate and bring them back to the shop. But what we're seeing is a lot of people actually do it a bit like when they're going to do their shop. I know I certainly put my plastic bags, um, get them ready and head off for my shop. This is actually where you'll be putting your plastic bottles and cans and bringing them back to the shop. When you're going to do your next show.
4: Yeah, it's exactly like the, when the plastic bag levy was introduced. How many times did we get to the supermarket door and you had to go back to the car or either go back yes. home to get your bags? <laughs> but now, you know, you wouldn't even think of going shopping without your bag. So so it's, it's all getting into the habit of returning. And we have an older generation as well who did it with glass bottles many years ago.
12: Yes, that's very true. And I mean, a lot of the older cohort would have remembered that and, you know, kind of say again, Well, why isn't glass included? And just to say on the glass, we're brilliant at recycling glass. We're well over 80% in recycling glass. And that's why we don't need to include it in the scheme. But as I said, for the aluminium cans and the plastic bottles, for drinks containers, we're over 60%, which is good. But we need to reach 77% by 2025. And the EU recycling target for 2029 is 90%. And there's nothing else that has been proven to deliver that other than deposit return.
4: OK, some really good questions in from listeners. Liz in Skibbereen, do you tear off the plastic label around the bottle?
12: Absolutely not. And just to say part of this is your barcode is on your PET plastic bottle or your aluminium can. So what we have said in everything we've put out nationally and on social is to say empty and undamaged. So as much as possible to keep the shape of the bottle or the can, but obviously the label has the barcode on it or it may be direct on the can, but it's really important that you wouldn't pull off the label.
4: Yeah. And actually, because that's the one thing when we put them into our curbside bin at the moment, we, we, we all squash them up to make as much room in the yes. bin. So we've got to get into yes. the habit of, of not. Somebody says hi on that very point, says, hi, Patricia, I assume you can't crush, crush the bottle or the can and they won't be able to re- reach the barcode. I've been looking at some of the reverse vending machines. They look quite small. Will there be a problem? Will they fill up too quickly? That's just my own observation
12: yeah no and that's again very true what we've done is our collections partner lpp have been all over ireland in the last eight nine months i don't know if you've seen them yourself patricia but they're big orange bins yeah with the return logo on them and what happens is when that reverse vending machine when the container inside it is full it's emptied into the orange bin Ah. and then that's ready to take the next lot of containers coming back And LPP have optimized the route, so they're collecting generally about once a week from each of these retailers. But obviously, as the system beds in, we'll start to see, you know, if you need it once a week, if you need it a bit more frequently, or if you need it less frequently to be collected. So it's all seeing where the returns are being made and let's say where the reverse vending machines are filling up, but less because of the bin at the back.
4: Helena and Clannock do you leave on the bottle tops on the bottles? That's a good question.
12: Yeah, you can. You don't have to. But the more we can recycle, the better. But no, it's not compulsory to leave the lid on. But yes, great if you can.
4: Tony in Mallow, if you purchase an item from Tesco and you want to and you return it to the machine in Super Value, can that be done?
12: absolutely and again this is something that we stress and there's a little bit of a nuance here you can buy anywhere and you can return to any participating shop or supermarket nationwide but what i would say on that is if you start putting in your bottles and cans in one shop you must redeem your voucher from that particular store so you can return it anywhere but the plastic bottles and cans, once you've put them into the reverse vending machine that, in the, a specific store, yeah, the, voucher the voucher must be Yeah, used the voucher there.
4: is is specific to that, show, to that exactly. store. And I think you've answered this already. Can you get cash back or does the voucher have to be spent in the shop? Uh, you can No, get, absolutely. You, can, you, can you have go. the choice. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if you can answer this one, but Mike and Inna Shannon said, uh, will the voucher you get uh, from the return vending machine, can that be used as a self-scanning checkout? Or do you have to go up to the counter in an individual store? Now, I got an email from Tesco's because I do a lot of um, click and collect and they tell me that the click and collect, I can't use the vouchers online, but I can physically use them in store. Can it be used on on a self-scanning, self-service test, you know?
12: I've got to be honest now, Patricia, I cannot give you an, an honest answer on that because that will depend on each individual store, whether they offer that service I can certainly ask Tesco myself or wherever else they want to know, but to my knowledge, it has to be at the till, but it may be something that's available. OK. So I, I, I'm sorry, I don't have a definitive yeah. answer on Mike, that Mike, you've, you've stumped for us,
4: listener. Mike has stumped us in, in, in a Shannon. Uh, can milk bottles, now the milk bottle one is, is interesting. So uh, Tom wants to know, can milk bottles mm. uh, be used for uh, return? And I thought he was talking about glass bottles. So I was thinking, well, they, well, we know the answer to that is no. Mm. But somebody is saying there's plastic milk bottles.
12: There are, but they cannot, they're not included. I think you'll see on our website, there's no dairy products at all included in the scheme. And what we've seen is internationally, it's one of the reasons that they are excluded, is that even the tiniest, let's say, if you have a tiny bit left in the bottom of a dairy product bottle, it's actually one of the biggest contaminants. So let's say any other drink that you have, if there's a tiny bit left in it and it goes through a reverse vending machine, there's no issue but dairy products, no. And they do tend to be in the majority in a Tetra pack or something similar, mm. um, and not necessarily of the highest quality of recycled but it is because of the contamination issue.
4: OK, somebody wants to know, what about pubs or restaurants that uh, serve cans? Uh, will I be charged uh, in there?
12: OK, that's a very good question. And in legislation, it is up to the hotel or restaurant or pub if they charge a deposit or not. But if it's for takeaway, they should be charging the deposit. And this is all about whether something is consumed on site. But what I would say to listeners is if you are charged a deposit, then that can or plastic bottle belongs to you and you can walk out of that premises with it. If you're not charged a deposit, it actually belongs to whatever establishment you're in.
4: Okay, uh, can, can I recycle my Guinness cans? Yes you absolutely can recycle your Guinness uh, cans Now somebody yesterday Neve, on the programme when we were talking about the fact that it had gone live had suggested collection points for local charities and they were using mm-hmm. the example that if you know if you're, you're out on a Saturday or a Sunday night and you might be going into the chipper and you might get a, a can of coke or a, a can of Fanta orange or something and you don't want to be carrying it home with you. Um, that if there was collection uh, points where people could put the empty bottles where a deposit has been paid on it can you see that happening
12: oh absolutely and i mean we've already had huge interest and there's kind of two aspects here where we've had community organizations where we've had local ga local rugby clubs, saying you know will i be able to go around and um, to members and say can i get all your plastic bottles and cans and use that as a fundraiser but we also have charities that are actually looking to become involved and that we may be introducing in phase two, we'll be looking at where somebody can set up independently, be it as a charity or as an independent, you know, in where they feel there's a need or an opening in a shopping centre or in some area that they want to provide a return point. So the charity aspect is definitely phase two. But what I would say to listeners is, you know, there is a fundraising opportunity here is. for every local organization yeah. if their members are willing to hand them over the plastic bottles and cans and say, look, I know we've paid the 15 cent deposit, but this is our donation to you.
4: Yeah. And there'll be a lot of entrepreneurial children that'll be out (laughs) looking looking for anyone who is. We've heard that already. (laughs) Yes. The the people who are deciding to be irresponsible, and leave your bottles and cans behind. I guarantee you there'll be a child lurking in the corner. Anna wants to know, does Neve anticipate queues at any of these um, machines?
12: Well, the retailers have been brilliant to date and I think most of the retailers are actually are set up with reverse vending machines that generally reflect their sales to date. So they would have a good idea of what's being sold in their store and then generally what should come back on the basis of that. But again, it is a it's, you know, day two of the scheme and we need to start seeing where people are coming in. The retailers have said they will help out anybody, you know, in initial stages to see if there are queues coming. But I suppose for customers, you know, you've, you've a reverse vending machine, you queue, you maybe come in at a quieter time if you have a lot to bring back. And I think really it's kind of common sense as well.
4: Mm, yeah, I, I know I took part in the pilot that was done at our locality uh, last year and there was a lot of people involved in the, in the pilot and I, I never once, I think, what no, I'm, I'm, I lie, there was once there was uh, two people ahead of me but there, were, there was two machines uh, operating, I, you know, did I wait 10 yeah. seconds probably, that, that was the maximum. So yeah, I, I I can't foresee it happening but let's wait and see. All right, OK, listen, I know how busy um, the weeks leading up to it has been for you, Niamh, so I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. No doubt we'll speak again but in the meantime thank you for that and thanks for joining us.
12: Thanks so much, Patricia. Uh,
4: Bye-bye, bye-bye. That is uh, Neve Kelly, who is Head of Marketing and Communications at Return. They have an excellent website as well if people want to uh, check it out. And somebody already has been out doing their shopping this morning and has bought bottles and cans. Where did that text go? Tom says, Patricia did my weekly shop. I had numerous cans and plastic bottles. Now, none of them had the logo on it exactly as your guest Neve had had, uh, said, but the machines were all in the entrance. And uh, when you bring it back, it'll be on the barcode. You will still get your uh, deposit back.
3: Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie to Cork today on C103
11: we're
1: when
3: Ours to protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info.
13: This week on Earth to Protect, we learn about an environmental campaign to ban disposable vapes in Ireland. In Ireland, an estimated 12.5 million vapes were sold in 2022. That's enough to line the distance from Belfast to Cork three times. Disposable vapes are not only harmful to human health, but also to our environment. Voice Ireland's Lindsay O'Connell runs the group's campaign to ban disposable vapes.
6: We've lots of different campaigns in Voice um, and one of them is called Picker Pals. And we have primary schools up and down the country um, who go out on litter picking adventures. And over the last few years we've got a lot of reports back from, from young people and teachers and all of the people we do litter picking with. And they're seeing these disposable vapes in the environment more and more. And we're like, we're talking about a huge increase here. Um, And scarily, one of those kids, actually one of those uh, litter picking campaigns that we went out on, there was a seven-year-old and uh, one of our campaigners was talking to him about the vapes and he said that his favorite flavor was triple mango. So the kids that we work with are seeing these so much in the environment um, and because they have batteries and because they can just keep going for 600 puffs. And um, the kids could then pick them up and taste them themselves. And what they don't realize is that they're very high in nicotine. So we came at this campaign originally from an environmental perspective, but there are so many different facets to it. There's really strong health implications, especially for our young people, because they don't realize that these very flavorsome um, devices are actually very high in nicotine or very addictive. So we're seeing addiction to nicotine on the rise amongst young people in Ireland. And that's for the first time in like 20 years. So what are the environmental concerns? These things are made of lithium, they've got copper in them, they've got really nasty chemicals as well. And when they go into our environment, they break down. Those batteries can leak and all those chemicals get leached into our environment. And they're really poisonous for our wildlife, but also ourselves, because it's going into our waterways. And there's thousands of them. Like in the UK, we don't have the figures in Ireland, but in the UK they say we're selling uh, two disposable vapes every single second. And now the top recycling centre in the UK that can recycle these disposable vapes can only recycle 700 a week because they have to be done by hand. So there's no way we can keep up with the amount that we're selling. So the environmental reasons are, are one of the you know the highest reason why we got involved, but also the health are super important for us.
13: The lithium and copper in disposable vapes are critical for building a greener economy. So Lindsay feels they should not be wasted on a product that's only being used once.
6: We've got these really valuable resources that we could be using to power our green um, revolution. So lithium, the things that we use for our electric cars and their batteries, copper, all of that is going to waste on these disposable devices. And the number one take home point, I think, from this campaign is that there's no reason for them. We have a reusable alternative already where you can recharge it and you can refill it and it can be powered again and again for years. And we don't need this disposable. So if, we, if Ireland really wants to take the circular economy serious, and if they want to really move away from single use, then not only do they have to ban this item, disposable vapes, they have to make sure that they never give the go-ahead for products like it again.
13: The results of the government's public consultation on disposable vaping products in October 2023 revealed only 37% of people sampled out of the 3,215 asked knew how to dispose of disposable vapes. While well, over 90% of people agree that disposable vapes are an environmental concern and 85% want to see them banned. So what can vape users do to help the environment?
6: Please return it back to a Wii store. So that could be DID Electrical, Paracity, any of the, the electrical shops that accept electronical goods, or back to the point of sale where you purchase it, hand it the disposable vape back to the retailer and tell them it is your responsibility to get this recycled. It's a Wii product. And by doing that, at least it's going back into the system, and can be sent off to be recycled. And whether or not the retailer will do that, we don't know. It's not guaranteed. So we would say to people, if you're going to vape, please use a, re- a reusable one.
13: To learn more about the effects of disposable vapes on the environment, visit Voice Online or check the show notes of this episode.
3: Ours to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman, with the television licence fee. Check out Ours 2 protectie for more info.
4: Can I just... Uh, briefly go back to what we did on our R's to protect uh, just before news at uh, 12 midday when we were talking about disposable vapes and how dangerous they are for the environment. And how do we get rid of disposable vapes, trying to encourage anyone that uses a disposable vape to please dispose of it uh, responsibly. But of course there's a big push for us here in Ireland to ban disposable vapes. It was only earlier this week that the UK government announced they are introducing a ban on the sale of disposable vapes and they're limiting flavours which they think are particularly marketed to children and the whole idea of this is to prevent them from the children becoming addicted to nicotine and it's the same worry we have here. Now the ban in the UK is not coming into force until early 2025 but at least they have the legislation in place and disposable vapes are going to be gone in the UK in 2025. Now, England are similar to us here in Ireland we've only recently introduced this where it is illegal to sell vapes or tobacco products to anyone under the age of 18 but in the UK they accept that youth vaping has tripled in the past three years 9% of 11 to 15 year olds are now using vapes in the UK isn't that crazy and of course they're cheap they're colourful Uh, the disposable vapes come in flavours like bubble gum and candy floss and obviously that's the key driver they are specifically aimed at young uh, people So it was the British Prime Minister, uh, Rishi Sunak, said children shouldn't be vaping. We don't want them to get addicted. We still don't understand the full long term health implications of vaping. So it is right, uh, he says, that they take a strong action to stamp them out. And of course, the UK will not be the first country to do this. Vapes are already banned in about 34 countries, according to the World Health Organization, in think Brazil and India, they were probably two of the first to come out and uh, ban them. But many countries have struggled to enforce e-cigarette rules, meaning that they're often then available illegally. And I know in France, the National Assembly, they approved a bill to ban single-use vapes. And they've done it again to uh, protect young people. And certainly we here in Ireland, and I know Germany, are also considering bringing in such a measure. And I think a lot of people would agree that, uh, you know, something has to be done about it, not even... I mean, I know today we were looking at the environmental impact of what happens when when the vape runs out, but it's just the health implications and we're getting a generation of young people addicted to nicotine when we've been doing so well on cigarettes and stopping young people smoking and now they've just switched their attention, unfortunately instead, to vaping. And I still can't get out of my head that young seven-year-old who was able to tell the person who was collecting the vapes what his favourite flavour in the vape was. That's just incredible. Oh wait, 1810310 three also in the last hour we were talking with the organisation Return who are responsible for our deposit and return scheme which went live yesterday. Some of your questions still coming in on this and some of your comments. Hi Patricia I brought a six pack of Pellegrino water large bottles yesterday and I wasn't charged a deposit. Why not? Obviously old stock where a deposit wasn't paid uh, on them but anyone who did pay a deposit without the return logo you will still get your money back because it's fitted into the barcode rather than the return Uh, in a about four months' time, they reckon all the old stock will be gone and everyone will have the return logo uh, on it. Marion Hay wants to point out uh, to people that according to Dun stores, the bottle return voucher cannot be used as part of their €10 Euro off 50 or €5 Euro off 25 weekly vouchers. They're not included in the amount you spend and that's for obvious reasons but just to make people aware of that. Hi Patricia, I'm just wondering how long will the voucher be valid for? Could you save them up for example and then use them all in one go or will there be a time limit on the use of the voucher? Well we've got back on to uh, return just to get clarification on that. They're thinking that most of the vouchers will be valid for a year but they're getting us the definite confirmation on them but as to can you save them all up and use them in one go? Absolutely and if it is for one year you could for example start collecting them now and save them up and then use them, as, it might be a savings for Christmas it might be something that uh, you could do Oh wait, 1 As I say, it's a new scheme. It's going to take a while to uh, bed in. We will get used to it. We got used to the plastic bag tax. We never even think about the plastic bag tax now. And I remember at the start of that, people were giving out saying, this will never work. Whereas this, it will. It will work. It works in other countries. There's no reason why it won't work uh, here. And then on agriculture, Pat J says, uh, Patricia, we are still waiting for payments since last November from the Department of Agriculture. It simply is not good enough. I can't believe we spoke about that last year on the programme and I was fully sure that everyone would have their payments at least by Christmas. It's hard to believe we've gone through all of December, all of January and we're into February and we still have people waiting on uh, payments and I know it was possibly and was definitely one of the reasons why we saw hundreds of farmers protesting in counties right across Ireland yesterday. Now they were out yesterday showing solidarity to their EU uh, counterparts. In recent days farmers have brought their tractors to cities right across Europe. They have blocked many, many major uh, roads in cities right across Europe and it The protest at a range of issues ranging from things like rising costs, uh, increased regulations and also farmers across Europe are fearful of cheaper food imports. So the agricultural community in Ireland, they also feel they're over-regulated. That's according to the Irish Farmers uh, Organisation with common issues that are shared with uh, farmers right across Europe. Same farmers that are protesting in Germany, in France, in Belgium and in other countries all share the same concerns. The IFA has said the protests uh, in Ireland last night, they took part in solidarity with the EU farmers and without any specific ask of policymakers. but the Irish farmers say they're feeling the same frustration and the same angst that the farmers are feeling right across Europe so they just wanted to show their support. According to the IFA President uh, Francie Gorman, farmers feel they're being regulated out of business and that's been done by by Brussels bureaucrats and Department of Agriculture officials, who he describes as being far removed from the reality of day-to-day farming. One would wonder, are any of those bureaucrats or officials, have any of them ever stepped foot on a farm before? Irish farmers, he says are very much pro-EU but there is mounting frustration about the impact of EU policy on European farmers and its implementation here. He said the farmers are now getting to the stage where enough is enough. So what happened yesterday evening? Well, hundreds of farmers took part in protests all over the country but very much here in Munster, including here in uh, Cork. Uh, Con. Uh, Con O'Leary, who is the Munster Regional Chairman, said last year's frustration over a number of issues really brought farmers out in big numbers yesterday evening. It includes the nitrates derogation cut in uh, Ireland. And he said other frustrations simply just after boiling over. He said farmers feel it is just becoming too Difficult to farm, and that nobody in the sector is able to make a plan for their future, and that's due to all of the regulations. He said there's layers and layers of bureaucracy. People are slowly but surely just losing interest in going into farming, and some of the key issues for farmers across the continent revolve around the EU Green Deal and the Farm to Fork strategy. Uh, also, there's frustrations about the CAP money moving moving away from supporting food production and instead moving towards funding environmental actions instead. Irish farmers are particularly stressed out about the overcomplicated farm schemes and what Pat, our listener there, says the late payments um, being made under these over-complicated farm uh, schemes along of course with the the nature restoration and the nitrates direct, direct, derogation. We've heard a lot about that across last year. So the IFA sought to send out a very clear message of the problems farmers are facing through last uh, evening's protests, not just to policy makers but they also wanted to show solidarity to the EU farmers as well. And I suppose what was what What is worrying as well among those who were protesting in Luxembourg Square in Brussels was the European Council of Young Farmers and they're calling for a dignified living and dignified working conditions. And we were represented there by our own MACRA president, uh, Elaine Houlihan, who said that farmers' frustrations are being ignored while food production is in crisis. And she pointed out that only 6.5% of farmers in the EU are below the age of 35. And she says, look, there's little hope of a future in the industry because they're simply all going to die out. So we've often spoken about the ageing population in the priesthood. We've got the very same ageing population when it comes to our farming community. Now, whether the farming community will take some comfort from the French uh, farmers because their agriculture minister uh, said last night that the worst of the crisis for their farmers are uh, over. And pro- protesters in France began lifting the road blockades. They got the government in France promises of cash and eased regulations. And some of the most angriest of protests that had spread across Europe over the week were in uh, were by French uh, farmers and French farmers. Of course, they used tractors to block key roads into and out of Paris and other major uh, motorway networks. They literally shut down part of France during the week. So the two main farming unions in France announced the suspension of their action and then went on to urge the protesters to take their tractors off the uh, street. And they are happy with the deal that they uh, did. And they reckon they're going to get more cash and there will be an ease of regulation. So let's see how the ease of regulation goes because they're EU regulations. So if the French farmers there's going to be an ease of regulations there, then surely the knock-on will be an ease of those regulations in Ireland as well. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary.
3: With Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See CorkCoco.ie. Number of
4: bingos on tonight, as there always is on a Friday night. Middleton GAA bingo is on, the usual this evening at half past seven. Mallow it's the GAA complex jackpot 4,600 8 o'clock start there and in Kildaree in the store at the Creamery Yard 8 o'clock start as well with a jackpot of 3,400 uh, euro the Donorell for All group who ho- will hold a fundraising quiz night in the Donorell Golf Club tonight they start at 8 tables of 4 40 euro money raised will help fund the group throughout the year social dancing will go ahead in the Marion Hall in Ballonhassick Tonight. Music is by Peter Burke with special guest Effie Neal. Dancing is from 9 to 12 midnight admission, 10 euro, including teas. uh, Michael and Chrissy O'Mahony will be presenting the funds raised from their Christmas lights display to their three nominated charities, namely the Mercy Hospital, West Cork Cancer Connect and Co-Action in Dunmanway. And they're making the presentation as part of a fundraising dance which will be held in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway dancing from 9.15 to Fimber Dennehy and uh, family with special guest Teddy Crowley. Admission there is 10 euro. And a lip sync fundraiser in aid of the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association and Clonakilty Youth Centre will be held tonight at Fernhill House Hotel in Clonac Kilty. Tickets 20 euro and they're available from Anthony087. and there'll also be a raffle for great prizes. And please note that the Jack O'Rourke concert at St. George's Arts and Heritage Centre in Mitchelstown uh, scheduled for tomorrow night, Saturday, has been postponed. The new date is this day week, Friday, the 9th of February.
11: Cork Today on C103.
3: With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie
4: It was so lovely to hear and see that family, friends and teaching colleagues of our late Pauly Palmer gathered in Bandon last evening in his men, uh, his memory. The venue was the new science building at St Brogan's College and a plaque at the entrance hall was unveiled by his beautiful wife Colette and daughter Emily. Helen Cadogan is principal of St Brogan's College in Bandon and Helen spoke to Three's Michael Scandon last night and first spoke about the memories that came back to people in the school yesterday evening. Poddy was a huge
2: friend to St Brogan's, he was, he he loved this school he loved everybody in it and he was such a fantastic role model for the students and he was such a good friend to all the staff and to all the management of the school and we just we wanted to commemorate him tonight because, because he did so much for us and we wanted to put up a plaque just to remember him in terms of the friendship that he showed us all. So the plaque says in in memory of our friend Pawdy Palmer and he was a friend, a friend to Brogan's and a friend to all of us. So that's that's
14: what we were trying to do tonight. Well, obviously, his, uh, Helen, his contribution to education over his teaching career was immense, but I suppose more important was his contribution to the, I suppose, well-being of All the people he came across and particularly the students that he thought.
2: Paddy, I suppose he was one of those people who gave all the time of his time and of his energy. And one of his favourite sayings is, I'll get back to you, I'll sort that out. And he would. And it could be the smallest thing. Uh, I think somebody was mentioning tonight the time he bought a suit for a boy whose parents had, there was a tragedy in his family and he bought a suit for him. For the funeral. It was things like that that Pawdy did that went unnoticed, but were always appreciated. He was just a a phenomenal, phenomenal person in terms of his contribution to people.
14: He'd also, I know, be very, very proud because I remember the first time I came in here many moons ago, it was a much smaller school. Can you see what you have now? It's just a magnificent complex. And of course, you're getting the numbers of students every year as well, which uh, is a reward for what you're after doing.
2: Well, we're just lucky that we have such wonderful students and and that's what it is. We have wonderful students and wonderful staff. Um, and we have, well, we work really hard to have as as good a relationship as possible with with students and with staff between everybody and party would have epitomized that in his role as home school he was so good with working with parents and and I suppose that's the important thing is that a school is about people and all the people in the school working as hard as they can to the benefit of the young people and i think that's why we're proud of our school because we do our best for all the young people that come in through our doors and that's what we're proud of.
14: On the radio we obviously know him for his uh, involvement in sport and his commentating on, on GA for almost 30 years but of course sports wise he made a huge contribution here in the school as well.
2: Yeah he loved to sport he talked sport all the time and he 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 was so encouraging to the young lads and he he was so encouraging even even to the teachers to go training and to get them organized and going to matches and he loved all of that and he just loved bringing on young people he was a great believer in sport being important for teenagers and I can't agree more it doesn't matter what the sport is whether it's GA or not but keeping busy and keeping active and having some other interest outside of school and outside of screen time and everything is absolutely
14: essential for young people and When pupils and parents walk through uh, into the school, into the science area of the school, they'll see his name over the door for ever and a day. Yeah.
2: I suppose we just people m- move on and things change. But Paddy was always a friend to Brogans, and I, I would really, I'm really happy that he's remembered as a friend to Brogans, because he loved the place and he gave everything he could to it and we really, really appreciate that.
4: And I've seen a photograph of the sign in memory of our friend Paddy Palmer and it's just gorgeous. It's, it's a big, bold print. He would be so, so uh, proud. And a former teacher at St Brogan's, uh, Ted Owens, he worked very closely with uh, Paddy for over 20 years and last night he took time out to also chat with uh, Michael Scanlon.
15: Great memories of the man. Um, I was privilege enough to ask me to say a few words tonight, and I started off by saying when I first met him back in 1978, you know. He came down from County Meath, started teaching in Mallow, got involved from day one with the teams, and uh, he was just like a breath of fresh air anywhere he went. And he made a huge contribution, first of all, as a coach, even though as somebody said tonight he might not have been the greatest tactician, but he was a great motivator, and then he made a... a huge contribution as an administrator and of course when he went down to yourselves then in one oh three, um, you know, what a commentator and, you know, I mean the taboo of he was the closest I've ever heard to, to Hertig with his quips and his comments and but as I also said tonight, you know, I I never, ever heard anybody say a bad word about him and the speech by the principal there tonight outlining his career like you know I think I was CEO of DTB at the time when um, I was travelling Monday and um, you know it was a Monday, Monday and it was about 20 to 1 listening to the radio and sports roundup, and I heard Palmer. I said, Jeez, that guy must have a free class at the moment, you know. And then I heard him another week, and I kind of, you know, inquired a small bit, you know, to find out, ah, oh, well, listen, this is the thing he did regularly on a Monday. Now, whether he had a free class or he arranged it every Monday, I don't know, but uh, I then knew that no way was to be wrong on those particular occasions. A larger than life character, but I tell you, whatever about his contribution as an administrator, you heard about his contribution and as a broadcaster, you heard about his contribution to education and what he did for young boys and girls, particularly those in trouble. Look a legend, August Nivegel the Rishon.
14: And of course that's probably a side of him that people wouldn't know about. Like the effect that he had on young people's lives over over forty years teaching was immense.
15: Unbelievable. No, look, I mean the honesty of the people here tonight when they spoke about him as a teacher. And it wasn't, they would have said straight out, it wasn't that he had a huge grasp of the subject. (laughs) It wasn't that he made a huge contribution in terms of the subject area, but it was relationships, relationships. And if a child was ever in trouble, Poddy was the person to try and sort it out. And, you know, as I said, I never heard a bad word about the man and he was adored, adored. My pupils, particularly those who, you know, might have been the greatest academics in the world, but not. They had a friend in party and if they were in trouble, it was party who'd sort it out for them.
14: And wonderful that there's a, a match coming up in his honour or in his memory now on, in, in, in Brenny on the 25th of February between his beloved Temple No and we'll also say his beloved Valley Rovers.
15: Well, I mean, one of the things he managed to do, I think, like when he, you know, doing his travels in Cork, being known as the best-loved man in Cork, he always kind of kept the Temple now thing quiet. But, of course, as far as they were concerned in Temple No, he kept the Cork and the Valley Rovers thing quiet. So they saw him as their champion, but uh, we know he was our champion.
14: We won't see his likes till again.
15: No later he shown. Augustin You know, yes and him day. Party.
4: He'll always be our champion for sure. And there's very few people can say uh, that there was never a bad word said about him, but there, I've never heard anyone anyone criticize our party parmer as Michael said, we'll never see his likes uh, again and, and very much thinking of his lovely wife Colette and um and the rest of uh, the family and as Michael and Ted mentioned there in that piece the senior football match your member party uh, will be held on the last Sunday in February the 25th in Brinny, 2 o'clock and it's between his native club of uh, Temple Noah, of Kerry and his adopted club uh, Valley Rovers everybody welcome to go along and last weekend the Celtic Ross Hotel West Cork Sports Star Youth Award which of course is named after our late great Pauly Palmer that was won by Emma Hurley congratulations Emma from Dream In the sport of road bowling and soccer. And uh, we had the honour and the privilege of having Pawdy's daughter Claire uh, there on the night, and she presented the award.
11: Cork Today on C103
3: with McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork Today
4: on C103. Let's get some movie suggestions for your bank holiday weekend with our movie. Your reviewer, Mark Malone. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi there. Okay, two movies uh, you watched, Holdovers and Wish. And we'll have a quick trailer, please, from Holdovers. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. I can't fail this class. Oh,
13: don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can.
5: You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on me.
3: You just
1: earned yourself a detention, sir. Being he here with you is already one big
3: detention.
1: Let me sleep in Now Most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that, right? I
9: find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common.
3: History is not simply the study of the past. It is an explanation
1: of the present. See, when you say it that way and throw in some pornography, it's a lot easier to understand.
4: Okay, is this a Christmas movie or is it just is this set over Christmas? It's set over Christmas. All right, yeah,
9: okay. be, yeah. But not a Christmas movie? Uh, not to be, but then, <laughs> really. see, I'm of that old school that believes that uh, Die Hard is not a Christmas okay, movie. All right, whereas okay. people say it is. It's an action movie that happens to be set at Christmas. And this is a drama, a comedy drama, a bit of sweet comedy drama that just happens to be set at uh, Christmas. Okay, relationship between teacher and pupils. Indeed, yes. An old curmudgeon of a, of, a, of a teacher as well, who's not very popular amongst, as you heard, the staff and uh, also the kids of the school as well. So this has proved very, very successful. Uh, it's nominated for Best Picture, Best, well, Best Actor, uh, Best Supporting Actress, Original Screenplay, uh, Film Editing. So uh, there's a lot of, uh, kind of uh, very positive kind of attitudes toward this film out there, and especially by uh, the Oscars. Although the director here, uh, whose name is uh, Alexander Payne, he has not been nominated, which normally tells you that the film won't win uh, Best Picture. Barbie. Yes. <laughs> well, Just throwing that in. It'll, be, Just poss- it it'll in. be Oppenheimer. But I did say last week, without having seen this film, that I thought that um, uh, Paul um, Paul Giamatti might scupper uh, Killian's chance of uh, winning uh, Best Actor. And now that I've seen the film, I, I still really do believe that. Oh, he's good in it. He's very, very good indeed. But then he always is. That's the thing about uh, Paul Giamatti. You know, he's been uh, on screen for 30 years and he's always been brilliant. He's always been great. And uh, and I think you get the impression that this year that the, uh, the Academy wants to reward him for all of that work he's done throughout three years. So I get the impression. And they that, do that. Yes, they do, and they, of they course the, the academy will also look at the fact that uh, Killian won, you know, the, the Golden Globes Best uh, Actor, and so they might reward uh, Paul Giamatti here without necessarily, um, you know, giving the Best uh, Oscar to the actual film uh, itself, which is, by the way, very very good indeed. It's directed by Alexander Payne, and that might be, uh, be a name that you might not recognize, but he's directed films like Nebraska, The Descendants, Election, Sideways, which also starred Paul Giamatti. So this guy's a very very good director indeed. And he's a very, very good director of people. Most of his films are kind of character driven. And it's a lovely antidote to, to an awful lot of the awful action movies that I've got to sit through, you know what I mean? And all of those terrible horror movies that uh, come our way. If you want a really, really good movie about people, well acted, well scripted, well directed, well this is very much uh, for you. Um, so he's a school teacher, Paul Giamatti that is, and uh, he plays the character of Paul Hunnam. And he, he is uh, a classics professor. He, he um, teaches at Bar- Art Academy, which is a very very high end very well off school in uh, New England and is populated by a lot of young men it's, 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 a, it's a male school uh, who come from very very rich families and it's one of those boarding schools where all the boys turn up a class and they've all got suits and ties for example and uh, he's not somebody who gives away kind of high marks kind of willy nilly in fact he's quite authoritarian in fact and he's, he can be quite negative towards uh, like I love
4: the, the line it's not only the pupils who dislike you the teachers don't <laughs> like you either so yeah I, I know the kind of character you're talking about
9: exactly yeah and so like one of the pupils for example says look I, I've got to get a better." Grade than this, you know. I want to go to Harvard, and it turns out that his father just happens to be a major sponsor of the school. And mm. so, Mr. Giamatti is called in to the dean, and the dean says, What the heck are you doing? You've got to give him a better grade because, look, you know, we lose out on all this money. You know, what if happens if his father decides not to give us uh, that uh, sponsorship? And uh, Paul Giamatti says, No, 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 I'm not going to do that. You know, if, he's, if he doesn't deserve it, uh, I'm not going to give it to him. If he works hard and does better, I'll give it, I'll give that to Fair him. Fair enough, yeah. So, it's coming up to Christmas, and it's a boarding school and most kids go back uh, go home, home to their parents yeah. but uh, not all do and those that stay at the school are called the holdovers now they need a teacher of course to stay with them throughout that, and that Christmas that can
4: year. I say it does happen
9: oh yes very much yeah. so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um, so of course because of Paul Giamatti's uh, behaviour the Dean decides that guess who's going to look after the kids over Christmas? The holdovers. You. It's going to be you. And of course, they t- to save on uh, heating costs, they turn off the heating to an awful lot of the school. Initially, there's about five or six boys, but that's all whittled down to just one. A young man here played by uh, Dominic Sessa. He too has got to get better grades because his parents want to send him uh, away to military school. And it's the time of the Vietnam War. And he certainly doesn't want that. Oh, it's either.
4: not OK, sorry. It's back in the 70s, it it's ba-
9: yeah, so it's, I think okay. it's uh, 1970. Yeah. yeah. And the film kind of projects that as well because the film is shot in four by three, and it's got this kind of look like this kind of low bitrate kind of films uh, that they used to make uh, back in the 70s, yeah. uh, just to kind of uh, give the impression that we know that it's uh, at that time. So what basically ends up is that over Christmas, three people just end up in this school. We've got the teacher Paul Giamatti, we've got the young man here played by Dominic Sassa, and the chef and the chef is played by Devine Joy Randolph, who has also been nominated for an Academy Award. Mm. None of these people like each other, but they've got to get on and they've got to spend time with each other And they've got to put up with each other and maybe even end up liking each other. Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, apparently the film was actually shot on practical real locations. They actually went to a school uh, which had shut down for February and they moved in. So everything you see, there's no sets. Everything you see is real. They're all the real dormitories, the real classrooms, the yeah, real classrooms yeah. which gives it a lovely kind of sense of reality. They also had a snowstorm as well at, uh, during the film and that kind of adds to the kind of spark, sparseness and uh, you know, bleakness uh, of the film as well as, of course, there being a great deal of uh, comedy as well. I thought this was really, really, really terrific and watching Paul Giamatti at work, you know, is... Is great fun. For some reason he had a lazy eye in the film and I couldn't work out why and it was only afterwards, you know, because there's a running joke in it where the, the people say, which eye do I look at? Oh my <laughs> and he never answers them. Yeah. And uh, But apparently it was meant as a joke. Somebody said, oh, have you got a lazy eye? And he said no. So he decided to have a lazy eye in the film. I don't know how they managed to do it. but it's Contact brilliant. lens, I'm assuming. I presume it was yeah. some kind of contact lens, yeah. But um, look, it's, it's very bittersweet. There's no surprises here, to be brutally honest with you. Um, but that doesn't matter with this. You're yeah. just enjoying the look of the film, the feel of the film, the the the, the, the script, the acting, everything about it is. And really And it flows well, and the comedy is good. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I enjoyed it very, very much indeed, and I will certainly recommend it.
4: Okay, that's the holdovers. That's in the cinemas at the moment.
9: Uh, it it, it is, is in the cinemas.
4: Same as yeah. Mark it out of ten. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. Okay. Then the second movie you watched is something called Wish. Yeah, this is this Disney.
9: Is, oh, Disney. Okay. Yeah, it right. ended up in A Disney Lovely Plus. Disney movies. Well, if we could, well okay and. I think you will possibly like this. I mean, I'm, there's a lot of people out there who uh, I love to watch Disney fail, but uh, I certainly don't. I mean, I really li- I like their, their, their live-action Pinocchio, for example. I thought it was really, really good. Love uh, Pinocchio. You know, I mean? exactly. And uh, so there's been a lot of kind of... Um, Negative reactions to this film, Maybe, mainly by the critics, though, because, um, as I say, there are people who wallow in the fact that Disney haven't done very well in the last few years. I'm not one of those people whatsoever. Uh, the film did um, cost between 175 and $200 million to make. Now, it was released to cinemas for a while, and it did make $240 million back, so uh, apparently you have to make double it, so they will lose money on it, but right. I think, at the same time, it, it hasn't been a complete disaster. And uh, basically, what this film does, it celebrates Disney's 100th birthday, really. So what they decided to do was they decided to, they come up with this really really kind of story about wishes when you wish upon a star, yeah. and then just constantly fill the screen full of references to all of the movies down throughout the years. Okay, they, apparently the makers had to sit through sixty-one classic I Disney. Was just going to say they've
4: made a lot of movies, exactly. So they yeah. have a lot to pull from,
9: and so some of it is kind of really in your face. So for example, you know the the main character has seven friends, you know, okay. yeah. seven the dwarfs. dwarfs, exactly, and there's loads of references like to 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 like the Lion King. And, 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 and for example at one stage the, the main character she wears a shawl which is the fairy godmother's shawl uh, from oh. Snow White and there's loads oh, of those I like that exactly the problem is when you're doing that and you're a movie buff like I am and you're enjoying you're trying to, revenge, revenge. All... trying to pick out I'm trying to pick out I forget ah. about the film and I forget about the story <laughs> that's part of the problem but it is a very very complicated story so basically uh, what it is it takes place in a magical kingdom where every citizen on their 18th birthday um, give their heart's greatest wish uh, to their ruler King Magnifico, they thought long and hard about that one okay. good, uh, voiced by Chris Pine so he keeps their uh, their their wishes safe and then every now and then he will actually grant one of the wishes our main um, character, uh, Asha here played by Ariana de Bosa, thinks that's unfair and wishes upon a star that things would get better, the star actually comes to earth, this cute little star by the way uh, which is very very cute indeed and then they go into battle against uh, Magnifico, it is very very complicated I think the story, but I don't think that's going to matter to the kids, I think the the, the songs are very much like, you know, Frozen and and Disney classic songs. That's fine. There's a goat in it, which is really, really funny in the tradition of kind of thumper and, 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 you know, animals that are funny in uh, Disney films. The problem is is that the villain, um, because basically they hate him because he's not giving everybody a wish, wish which, yes. which basically you can't really do yeah and yeah. so therefore he's, the, not, he's not a mean king that's the problem you see and yeah. uh, you know when you've made kind of the villain kind of relatable and likeable which you do uh, that causes problems because of course Disney are famous for just basically having good and evil and here but and good kind of, always wins out but yeah but so look it looks beautiful the songs are good there is some funny bits it is a bit bland at times but there Work are the lots of references to great movies oh very much worth so. the watch, watch. okay
4: so. I, I I would say watch it and then go back and pick out all the references <laughs> yeah. watch it a second time okay mark it out of 10 I'll give it 7 7 out of 10 and that's on uh, Disney Plus Wish thanks for that Mark have a lovely okay. week enjoy your bank holiday weekend and we'll chat to Mark Malone next Friday that's where I leave you for today and indeed for this week my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards easing you into the bank holiday weekend I'll on Tuesday or today on C103
11: with
3: McCarthy Insurance Group proud sponsors of the Cork GAA club football leagues and championships for motor home business farm life and health insurance, cmig.ie.